today we're going to look at uh, being free to run and free to run. And uh, I'm going to kind of look at this maybe from a different angle than what you've maybe heard in maybe if you've grown up in church or you've been in church for a while. I'm probably going to look at this this idea of being free to run from a different angle. I'm going to look through it, look at it through the idea of the story of the Israelites when they after they came out of Egypt. And because um, I believe that while they were in the wilderness, they were running a race. They just made some bad decisions while they were in the wilderness. And uh, so we're going to we're going to talk talk about it like that. And um, but when we look in Scripture, we see lots of metaphors and we see lots of illustrations that have to do with running. Uh, Paul, especially, uh, was really good at writing about running a race and in multiple of his different letters that he wrote. And um, I think that Paul probably was a sports guy, right? Uh, Paul probably liked watching ESPN, and uh, he Paul probably had a favorite sports team, and uh, I would like to think that his favorite sports team was WVU, and uh, hopefully. Um, but this morning, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture, um, the first one being 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 24, and then, and then the second one, we're going to look at it through the eyes of the Israelites in Joshua chapter 5, verse, chapter 5, and most of chapter 6. Um, so let's pray together this morning, and uh, we'll dive into God's Word. Lord, we just thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be here, to worship you. God, would you just use me as a vessel to communicate your Word, your truth clearly, God? Would you open our ears to hear what your word says for our lives, God? And may we apply it in a way that will be transforming, that we will be free to pursue what you have for us. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're going to dive into a very large portion of Scripture. And uh, so if you would open your Bibles, uh, uh, Joshua chapter 5, that's where we're going to start at. And um, we're going to read there. And uh, so let me give you a little bit of a summary of Maybe what's going on um, it, before before we get to Joshua chapter 5. See, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, and uh, God had promised them the promised land of Canaan. And uh, Scripture tells us that God was going to take them out of Egypt. And uh, he, the Scripture in Deuteronomy is specific about the the journey that God had, had planned for them initially was about a two-year journey. It was a long way, if you would, from Egypt to the promised land. And... Um, so the, the goal was to get to the prize, the, the promised land. And uh, he delivered them from slavery and, in, in Egypt. And uh, they weren't going to be entirely free until they got to the promised land. And, um, and, and so I think that sometimes um, whenever we, we think about being free and the Israelites being free from Egypt, yeah, they were, they were, they were delivered from Egypt, but they weren't truly free until they got the promise of the promised land that God had promised them. And uh, so they were walking in the promise. And uh, so I, I think that we need to make sure that we're clear of the difference between deliverance and freedom because I think that we can be delivered from something but not necessarily be free until we're walking in the promise that, of what God has for us. And because um, I believe that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, right? That's what Galatians says. And um, one part of the journey was only supposed to take like 11 days. But Scripture tells us that it wasn't until 40 years later that they ended up at the promised land and the promise of God. And I don't care where you're at, like, academically, but there's a big difference between 11 days and 40 years. I mean, you might not be the, like, might not be the brightest light bulb, but 
It, there's a big difference there. Some 39 years and 11 months and 20-some days, depending on what calendar you're using. And um, the Scripture says that an entire generation died in the wilderness, never possessing the promise. Never possessing the promise. They were delivered, but they were never freed. Isn't it so true that many Christians are delivered from their sins, from sin's consequences? They're heaven-bound, but they're never possessing the fullness of life that we can have in Christ. And that's where we're going to pick up the story uh, right there where a generation had died in the wilderness. So we're going to read from Joshua chapter 5, and we're going to go through into chapter 6. It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to probably read it pretty quickly because it's a lot of Scripture, and I want to try to get through it, okay? So, now when all the Amorite kings went west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gil, Gilbreth, Harola, however you want to say that. We'll call that G. And now this, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt and all the men of the military age, they had died in the wilderness on their way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness, see it was 40 years that they were there, during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of, mili- who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, and the land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. These were men who, were, who, who said that despite what our ancestors and our forefathers did, I want to possess the promise. I want to possess the promised land. And these were the ones that Joshua circumcised. They were, they were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised along the way. After the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. This is the process that sometimes we have to stop to, be, to receive a healing before we can move on to the promise. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal, Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while on the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate of some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. They ate of the produce of the promised land. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as the commander of the lords of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the, Israel, because of the Israelites. No one went went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with his king and his fighting men. March around the city once with all with the armed men. Do this for six days. 
have seven priests carry the trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark on the seventh day march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets when you hear hear them sound a, a long blast on the trumpets have the whole army give a loud shout and the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go in go up everyone straight in i'm sure joshua after hearing this was like is there a plan b because if we look at the history here, Jericho was probably had, had one of the most fortified walls, one of the strongest walls of all of the cities of the time. And have you noticed that sometimes God gives leaders some weird, really weird battle plans? Like, I have an idea, let's go take the city and just bring a trumpet and have your guys march and be ready to shout. So you don't want us to bring the cruise missiles or the AK-47s or nuclear bombs or anything like that. You just want us to march around it and play a horn and yell. Right, God. Um, but sometimes God gives us pretty crazy dreams and visions, especially our church leaders. Let's be real here. I mean, how many people do you know that are like, man, well, I'll just leave a church where I'm at and just drop into this town that I've never lived in before, I've heard about, and... Start a church from the ground up, not knowing anybody. Pretty crazy, right? That's the kind of dreams that God gives the people, kind of visions that God gives the people. You're like, say what, God? Like, really? And we read on there in verse 6, it says, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry their trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead. Going ahead, he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Covenant. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. At this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had, had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word. Until I tell you, until I tell you, the seventh day on the seventh lap, that's when I want you to shout, because that's when the walls are going to fall down. See, as we look in Scripture here, um, I, I believe that part of the reason why they couldn't, they couldn't be free, they couldn't walk into the land of Canaan, was beca because of their past family members who were circumcised before, um, people who came into the wilderness but didn't make it to the promised land. And... Um, and before they could go into the freedom, before they could go into the promise of God, they, they, they had to be marked. They had to be, circumcision was the way that they marked that they were a child of God, that they were, they were of, of, the Israel, of, of, of Israel. And in the New Testament, we, we, we hear the word circumcision, and it talks about the circumcision of our heart. And, um, and, and that means like we're, we're marked, we're set apart. And, and if, you, if you have called upon the name of the Lord and you have asked him into your heart and you're living in a relationship with him, that is kind of like you are set apart. You've been marked. You've, you've been circumcised, if you would. And um, see, and, and, and I, like to, I like to look at this in light of, uh, he, we're going to look at Hebrews 12, 1 real quick. And it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin, which clings to us so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I think that this scripture is talking about that, that circumcision, if you would. 
the, the circumcision of cutting away the things that weigh us down when we're pursuing the promises of God, the things that, the sin that, that weighs us down, that entraps us, that entangles us as we pursue the promises of God. And um, so maybe this morning, some circumcision needs to happen in your life. And all the guys are going to go, ow. And, uh, but I believe that God has to cut some things away in order for us to receive the promises to receive the freedom, to walk in the freedom that, that He has given to us. And so the first thing I want to look at as we talk about being free to run, in order to be free to run, we must throw away the weight. This scripture here specifically talks about the weight. Hebrews 12.1 talks about the weight. He says, Lay aside those things that hinders and, eas- and the sin that easily entangles. He says, he says, he uses the words weights and sin as two different things. A weight is obviously different from sin, because if it was just sin, then I believe the writer would have just said, hey, throw away the sin. Take away the sin. So he, he in fact, says weight. And um, so what is a weight? And I think that the weight here are the good things that weigh us down. How many of you guys know that good things, God things, can, can weigh you down when you're trying to pursue and walk in freedom that you might have? Christian Friends can weigh you down as you pursue the promise that you have for that God has for you. They, they don't share the vision that you have. They don't share the vision that God has given to you. The weight could be good Christian people that, but on your trajectory and running your race, um, maybe you're around those those friends and they take you five steps back. You know, it could be it could be people or family who haven't captured the vision that that you have shared about where God has you going in your life. And they ca- they become a hiccup. They become a hindrance in your life. Maybe it's the people you get your counsel from. Um, maybe those people are the ones who don't share in the vision. They don't believe in the promise that, or the vision or the call that God has placed on you. And they're not going in the same direction. See, Christian friends and Christian Christian family and, and those those people who are counseling you are great when they're running in the same race as you. When you're all on the same path, you're running, they can see the vision, they can see the finish line, they can see the prize at the end of the race, and you're running together. They're great to be there because they're encouraging you, they're supporting you, they are they are they're holding you accountable. But when you're running in different directions, when they say you need to be doing this or you need to be doing that, not that they're not that they're necessarily not a Christian, but they're just not, they just don't see the vision. They don't see the promise that God has given to you. See, I think that's what makes our church, our family, so unique. That we're not necessarily going in the same direct, same trajectory as maybe some of the other, some other churches that I have been a part of or that you've been a part of or that it's not the normal, quote-unquote, church. It's not that we're going in a wrong direction. We're running towards the call and the vision and the, that God has given to us. I can't be doing one thing and whenever somebody else is telling me to do something else. You know, it's hard to stay on that path and follow after it. I can't be doing what others feel like I should be doing and simultaneously be working at the foundry. I can't be doing what I feel like what, what others feel like I need to be doing or what my, what my people, what people who are over me tell me, Hey, you probably shouldn't, shouldn't do that. You probably shouldn't leave your church where you're at and move to the, move to Morgantown. Cause that's not a wise decision. Cause you know, you're going to jump in and not have any money. What are you going to do? Maybe I shouldn't be doing that because it's not a wise decision. That's not what they, they feel like it's not a wise decision, but it's what God has called me to do. I can't simultaneously do what they say 
and live six out or an hour and a half away and drive to Morgantown every day. It doesn't work because it's not where God has placed me. I'm not chasing, I'm not running the race that he has called me to. And each one of us, God has placed a race in front of us. He's placed a prize at the end for you to chase after. And I believe that that's where God has you. You need to be running the race. You need to throw off the weight that maybe holds you back, the good weight, if you would. And then the second thing we have to throw off is sin. And many of us, we don't like talking about sin. Let's be real. Who likes to talk about sin? Like, it's not really like something you you love to talk about. We feel uncomfortable. And, um, you know, I look at it like this. If there was a bottle with with a poison label on it, I wouldn't be tearing off the poison label and replacing it with a label that says chocolate syrup and put it in your refrigerator and say, go knock yourself out. I feel like that's what some people do when we talk about sin. I think that we need to be honest about what sin is. And see, the louder you make the table, the more potent you make the poison. We don't do anyone any good by saying there is no sin. There's no such thing as sin. I'm okay. You're okay. We're on our way to nothingness. This isn't going to help anyone. We don't need to confuse tolerance with endorsement. There was something that there was something that sent Jesus to the cross, and that was sin. We don't need to be judgmental or critical, because there's an antidote to sin, and it's called the blood of Jesus Christ. And it sets people free. In love and grace and mercy, we need to help people to understand that this stuff is killing them. That sin is what holds you back from pursuing what God has called you, from entering into the freedom and the promise that God has for us. And I think that sometimes the reason we're uncomfortable talking about sinning and maybe confronting other people's sin is because we really have sin in our own lives that we're not free to run that we're not free to pursue the promises of God. And I think we need to take care of that before we move on. I think it's like the writer says in 1 Corinthians 9.26, we run like someone aim, running aimlessly and do not and fight like a boxer beating the air. When there's sin in our lives, we run a race without purpose. We run a race aimlessly. We don't keep the prize ahead of us. And... And I want to give you an example maybe because I know as good Christians, as we all are, right? We're all great Christians. We automatically go to behavior modification rather than heart issues. And I think for us, as, a, as being a good Christian, we need to deal with the issues of the heart. And so let me tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being rejected, being harassed. I'm talking about unforgiveness. You know, some sins that might be justifiable to even Christian folk. Well, I don't blame you because I could never forgive them either after they did that to you. Those are what I'm talking about. There's no wonder why you can't submit to a leader. There's no wonder why you're having problems in your marriage. There's no wonder how could you trust somebody ever again. It's okay that you build these walls up around you. To people, that's justifiable. To Christians, some of those sins are justifiable. And it's amazing what our well-meaning hearts, and it's amazing that with our well-meaning hearts, that we excuse something that the Bible never does. And the Bible doesn't, and it's not because the Bible never does, it's not because God's mean. 
But it's because he doesn't want, we, he doesn't want us carrying it into our future. See, there are things in my life that I could have been bound to forever. Forever. You know, maybe three years in my life that I went through things that, you know, maybe many of you have, you know, <laughs> harassment, maybe loss, maybe rejection. And those were three years. And I could have let those three years define who I was. Let's be real. Many of us live there. Three years define who I am. Even though I've been living free from those three years, I'm 28 years old, for 25 years of my life, I've been living free from those. And Jesus came to set, not, Jesus came to set me free, not so that our current relationships would pay for something that they never had anything to do with. Because I refuse to be free and run the race that God has called me to. It's more than just to be delivered. It's more than just to be delivered. It's running the race free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. For some of us, that sin is destroying our lives, it's destroying our loved ones, it's destroying our relationships. But if you don't call it what it is, you'll never be free. It's sin. And in our culture, it's that sin that's, gonna, that's killing us. It's a cancer that many of us are using NyQuil to treat and we're not using the Word of God to heal. Jesus says that I've come to set you free from that stuff. I've come that you might, have, you might be free from unforgiveness, from bitterness, from rejection, from hurt, from greed, from addictions. You can be free. I'm living proof that you can be free from hurt, from rejections. You've got to lay aside the sin and, and walk in freedom. Okay, let's go back to the story of Joshua here. <laughs> So third, to be free to run, you must take time to heal. You must take time to heal. Now, Scripture says that they are, they are at the Passover on the edge of the promised land, but they need some time to heal because Scripture, because God had told them to, God had told Joshua to circumcise, circumcise them again. And circumcision is personal. It's private. And sometimes we get hurt where it's personal and it's private. And we need time to heal. Some of us have been cut so deep, so privately, and so painfully. God, why was I cut so deep, so privately, so pain, painfully? And he says, because I'm getting ready to take you into the promised land. I'm getting ready as a runner, uh, as a runner sees the finish line. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, everyone runs, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize, the promised land. The promise that after you've been beaten up in the wilderness, after you've been circumcised, you need time to heal, to prepare for what God has ahead of you in the race. It hurts sometimes. For the, for the Israelites, it was 11 days that took 40 years. They had just come out of Egypt as slaves and started an 11-day journey, but it took 40 years. A lot of us come out of some really crazy families, right? Some really crazy situations. And, but some of us also still have some crazy in our heads, right? And the Lord says, I got to get some of the crazy out of you with the truth of my word. Because just because you've come out of it doesn't mean it's come out of you. So we need... More than a, so we need the 11 days in the wilderness to get you out of what it took 40 years to get you to. 
Someone betrayed us. Someone abused us. Someone has called us names. Someone said you were ugly. Your, your family walked out on you. Your family betrayed you. Your friend stabbed you in the back. We did something and we've never gotten over it. We've just stayed stuck there and we've allowed it to define us. And we just keep going around the same mountain for 40 years. Around and around and around. Versus moving forward and applying the blood of Christ to that area of our lives. And moving forward in the race that God has called us to. And being free to run forward in our lives. Last week we talked about being free from the past. In order to be free from the past, Tim talked about being free in the present and free in the to be. In, you must be free in the present to be free in the future. The Bible, the, Christ says that I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Your circumstances can't define who you are. We have to run forward in it. So many times we feel defeated, and we need to take the time to heal so we can enter into the promised land. You know, some of us we we feel like, well, my family. For five generations have been al- have been alcoholics, so that means there's no hope for me. I'm going to be an alcoholic, or or maybe we've been poor in my family my whole life, so I might as well stop trying. As if the blood of Christ doesn't have enough power to stop your bloodline and start a new one, a new line of runners who are free from the past, who are free from the things that held our previous previous generations back, so that we can be free to run in our future. A relationship with Jesus Christ can change everything. The freedom that He brings changes everything in your life. It's going from living a normal Christian life to an amazing Christian life. I was I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I once was purposeless, but now I've found a purpose. I have hope for my future. That's what God does. That's what God does. Only Jesus can bring that freedom. No drug, no relationship, sex, money, power, fame. None of that. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's jump back to Joshua chapter 5. When we, we look at verse 10, it says, On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal, the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate of the produce of the land. Unleavened bread and roasted grain. And if you if you look at the promise there that God had promised them, he promised them land with milk and honey. And and if you remember when they sent out um, the spies to look at the land, it was big grapes and 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 that sort of thing. And and so they ate of the land. They ate of the person land. Can you imagine how good that tasted after eating manna? Seriously, have you guys ever been to churches where they serve communion and they serve you a little styrofoam wafer? That's what I imagine manna being like. I imagine manna in the, in the wilderness that's falling from heaven being like a styrofoam wafer. Because I'm sure that after 39 years of eating it, the first year you might be able to get away with being okay with it. But after 39 years of eating it, probably tasted like a styrofoam wafer. And, um, and can you imagine how good it was to have milk, to have honey. Can you imagine how sweet the honey was after eating bread for 40 years? Can you imagine how sweet it was? And, and to have the grapes. They ate of the land. And I believe that for us, in order, to, in order to be free to run, we have to fill ourselves with God's Word. See, they filled themselves with the promise of God. 
And I think it's good to ask yourself, what are you fooling yourself with? An athlete must be disciplined. We look at runners, somebody just doesn't wake up one day and be like, hey, I'm going to go run, and I'm going to go sign up for a marathon and run it that day. That doesn't happen. You'll just walk up to Pittsburgh and be like, oh, I'm going to run the marathon today. It doesn't happen. In 1 Corinthians 9.27, we, we see that Paul writes, he says, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. Meaning that he disciplines himself. He disciplines himself. Runners, they train. And it's about how much they run, but just about just as much as important it is about how much they run, it also is important about the diet that they eat. You can run at a slow pace and finish the race, but if your diet isn't right, you'll never reach the finish line. And in the 21st century, we, there is no excuse for why we aren't filling ourselves with God's Word. We have the Bible available to us in so many different forms, so many different translations that you can get it on your computer, your iPad, your iPhone, hardback, paperback, leatherback, waterproof. There's a marine Bible out there. There's a, there's a Bible that's fireproof that you won't catch on fire. I mean, they come up with everything. There's no, if you're standing in the middle of a burning building, you can read your Bible, just so you know. It's there. And if you can't read, guess what? There's even an app for that too. It's called the Audio Bible. It'll play it for you while you're going down the road or, or while you're sitting staring aimlessly at a wall. You can listen to the Bible. And if you have a hard time understanding, there's multiple different translations and languages. If you don't speak English, I'm sure you can get it in Japanese. I mean, there's multiple different translations. God has used anywhere in any way possible to get his word into our generation and into our lives. If you're not getting it, it's honestly because you don't want it. Let's be real. I think sometimes, this might be a low blow, but I think sometimes we stop watching some reality TV and get a whole life balanced by God's word it would change our life forever. So what are you filling yourself with? Because what you put in you is what will come out of you and it's what will sustain you as you run in the, in the promises that he has for you. To be free to run, we also must, we also must move forward. And we're going to look at, uh, look back into the story of, in, into Joshua and in the chapter 5, I believe it is, in, in verse 12, it says the manna stopped. Scripture says the manna had ceased. It says the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land, and there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. They had to move on that very day, and they ate of the produce of Canaan. It wasn't like, well, I'm just going to eat a little bit of manna, and I'm going to have a little bit of the produce of Cana. No, it says that they stopped. The manna ceased. It, said, it didn't sprinkle manna after that. It wasn't like a light shower of manna. It stopped, and they had to move forward. See, I think that God has given us enough 
not just to survive, but he's given us enough to thrive in our walk with him. See, the manna was just enough to get them through the day. It says in the Bible that God rained down manna enough for them for that day. But when they moved into the promise of God, into the promised land, it was more than enough. They were able to eat enough for that day and the next day and the day after that because it was in the land. It was in the promise. We can do so much more in our life. We can do so much more to reach people at our work and at our school. There can be an abundance in your finances. There can be more than enough ahead of you to be free to run. And we need to run towards it. The problem is many of us don't see when the manna ceases. Many of us still live in the wilderness and expect the manna to fall. But when it's laying right in front of us, and we have to pursue that freedom, we have to pursue what God has for us. God says, I want to do a new, new thing. I'm making all things new. And I think that sometimes we don't need to confuse methodology with orthodoxy. We are as orthodox as it comes, but we will do anything it takes to reach the lost. We will use all modern methods to reach the lost. The fact that Jesus says, let's move on. And some of us are still stuck in the moment. We're still stuck in the moment whenever somebody threw those words out at us. We're still hurt by a loss. We're still hurt by a rejection. We're still hurt by an abuse. We're still hurt by that time when someone spoke negative into our lives. And we get stuck in that moment. But the Lord says it's time for us to move on and be free to run the race toward the vision, towards the calling that I place on you. And some of us, if we stay here long enough, the friend that's been sitting next to you is tired of hearing you talk about that situation. You've been talking about it for 20 years. And I believe that after today, they're going to have to listen to a new story, a new moment in your life, a new beginning. Because we need to be free to run the race. We need to be free to achieve the prize that's set before us. And I think lastly, the Bible says to be free to run, we must have faith. The Bible says that the city of Jericho was shut up, was shut up tight. It says in verse 6, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went, in, no one went out and no one came in. God was well aware that the city was shut up, right? And how many times are we running towards the race running the race towards our vision, towards the goal, towards the prize that God has for us. And we've done everything that God has called us to do. We're, God has blessed us. We're eating of the milk and honey and the grapes and the unleavened bread and everything else that was in the promised land. How many times have we run in that race and we feel like everything is going right? I've done everything as I should. I'm living by the word of God. And all of a sudden, there's a wall in front of us. There's the wall of Jericho in front of us. Maybe it's a doctor's diagnosis, a child who runs away from God, a, a marriage that you believe that God has given you, it, it, you're having struggles in, a business that goes bankrupt, a longtime friend who you had maybe betrayed you. You say, I've checked all the boxes. I've done everything 
as prescribed by the Word of God. I went to every seminar, every conference. I've memorized every scripture. I can quote you Genesis to Revelation. And if you can do that, I want to see you afterwards. And because I'm pretty sure that's probably a record. I did it all, and now there's a wall. God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? What do you do when you hit a wall in your race and it wasn't your plan? What do you do whenever you pull a hammy, if you would, while you're running the race? And it's a wall. And the wall, it maybe it wasn't necessarily even in your theology. It wasn't part of what you believe. What do you do when you hit a wall and it wasn't part of the vision or the prize that God has called you to? No one's exempt. None of us are exempt from hitting a wall when we're running towards the prize of vision that God has for us. It's easy to hit the wall. It's easy for me when I hit a wall and I'm not doing exactly what I feel like God has called me to do. It's easy because I expect the wall. Whenever I'm not doing what God's called me to do, I expect there to be a wall because there will be. But sometimes when we're running the race and we're doing everything right and we hit the wall, I believe that it's worse. When you hit the wall running, it hurts a lot more. There it is, and you don't know why. Do you still trust? Do you still believe? Do you still believe in the vision and the call that God has placed on you? When there's a thick wall in front of you, do you have faith to move on? See, sickness is not terminal. Life is terminal. No one gets out of life alive. Hey, it's bad news for you, but we're, one out of one of us will die. It's true. So what prize are you running toward at the end of the day? Only life can kill us. Not cancer. Not some terrorist. Not some accident. Because there's a name above every name. And I serve a God who can heal. I serve a God who will protect. I serve a God who will do the unimaginable. And I got good news for you. Even in death, we win. We win the race. And I think for some of us, the issue isn't the wall that we run into. My issue is not necessarily the wall, but it's the fear that comes with the wall. Where are my finances going to come from? How, how will the doctor treat this? What's the next prognosis in the, in, the, in the walk? Because the enemy knows that if he can cripple us as believers with fear, then we'll never activate the faith that it takes to get through the wall, for the wall to come down in our lives. See Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, I'm reading from the message version. It says, the fundamental fact of existence is, that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under, under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. You can't make that wall come down. I can't make that wall come down. Some guys blowing horns and shouting can't make that wall come down. But it's the power of Christ that can bring that wall down, can make that wall crumble. Sometimes we do a good job managing our lives, and I believe that Jesus steps back and says, okay, you're doing a good job. You're, you're managing your life well. Go ahead. 
And then we say, well, I need a miracle here. I need a miracle here. I need a miracle here, God. And really, what has happened is, we just haven't done a good job managing our lives. And that's why we need a miracle now. What if we lived a life where we didn't need instances where we need a miracle, but we lived a life of a miracle? Where everything we touched was blessed. Every decision that we made was directed by God, not by our own understanding. What would our life look like if it was like that? Joshua, that, that's the way Joshua was. God says, I'm going to give you a battle plan. I want you to march around the city. And on the seventh day, I want you to blow the trumpet. Joshua's like, really? Really, God? That's a really weird battle plan. And sometimes the weird battle plan is what God gives us to bring the wall down. He gives us the battle plan for our marriage, for our relationships, for our health. All we have to do is follow them. All we have to do is follow them. We need to follow His plans, but lastly, we, do not, we, we need to be free to run. We must not give up. And I look at the story of Joshua and I look at the Israelites and it's like, you know, I look at day one, let's walk around this, build, this, this city. Day two, let's walk around the city. Day three, let's walk around the city. Day four, let's walk around the city. Day five, let's walk around the city. Day six, let's walk, walk around the city. Day seven, guess what? We're going to walk around the city. But on this day, we're going to walk around it seven times. So day seven, lap one. Day seven, lap two. Lap three. Lap four. Lap five. Lap six. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, And let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out before us. Let us run with perseverance. Because lap 7 comes after lap 6, comes after lap 5, comes after lap 4, lap 3, lap 2, lap 1, day 6, day 5, day 4, day 3, day 2, day 1. And I know there's people in this room who you're facing battles. We, are, we, we face battles on a daily basis. And you don't feel like you're free to run. You look at your past situations, you look at your current situation, you look at your future, and you say, there is no way that I can run free. You can't lose for winning. There's a lot of pain along the way. But do what he has called you to do. Can you imagine the Israelites? I don't think you get it. You've got to imagine the Israelites here. Imagine day one. Okay, we're going to walk around the city. I went to church, I tithed, I'm still broke. I was nice to my husband and he's still mean. Lap two, lap three. I was nice to my boss today, even though he is a real jerk. I really want to give him a piece of my mind. But God says, I want you to do another lap. Lap four, lap five. God, I keep reading your word and I keep reading scriptures about healing, but God, it still hurts. It still hurts. But God says, I want you to have faith in me and keep persevering and keep believing. Do another lap. But this seems pretty weird, God, to keep doing this. God says, I've told you I'm going to take down the wall. I'm going to take down this wall. 
I'm prepping you to complete the race. What if the Israelites had stopped on day six? What if they had stopped on day six? Or better yet, what if they had stopped on day seven, lap six? And I believe that there's some of us who are ready to just to throw in the towel. I'm done. You're just moments away from your breakthrough. You're just moments away from entering into the promise that God has for you, the prize at the end of the race, the calling, the vision that He has placed, placed in you and on you. And I, and I believe that it's critical where we read here in verse 10 of Joshua chapter 5 that God told Joshua to tell the people not to say a word. Not to say a word. And I'm going to ask the worship team if you would go ahead and get ready to come. It says, But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout! Exclamation point. You know why he did that? Because I believe when Joshua gave the battle cry, when Joshua told the people the battle plans, eh, some 30, 40, 39, 40 years ago when they left Egypt, I believe that that's the reason why they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Because they started grumbling. They started complaining. But it was so much easier in Egypt. This wilderness is hard. So he told the people not to say a word. And I believe this is a key point in our lives. This is, I love this quote. Doubt dies unborn if it's never spoken. Doubt dies unborn if it's never spoken. And some of us, this is what we need to do. Maybe I'll step on, I'm sorry this morning. But I think some of us, we need to zip it up until we can speak what God says. Until we can speak the promises that God has that God has given to us. We need to zip it and take another lap. And we need to continue to run freely around the wall and believe God. And God will say, shout on day seven, lap seven. will come and those walls will come down. Healing will come. Restoration will come. Freedom will come. Reconciliation will come. Because all the promises of God are yes and amen. The vision that he's placed inside of you is yes and amen. It's up to us to freely run into them. And this morning, maybe you're here and you find yourself struggling in one of these areas. Maybe it's a weight that you feel like that you're weighed down. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a past relationship. Maybe it's something in your past. And, and when we were talking about it, you identified it immediately. And immediately a situation came into your mind and into your spirit. Maybe it's addictions. Maybe it's a hurt. Maybe, maybe it's a sickness or an illness in your body. Maybe, maybe it's a sickness or an illness in a family member. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's hopelessness. Maybe it's fear. I have good news for you. I believe that this morning, day seven, lap seven is just around the corner for you. The one who can provide freedom is here. 
And he wants to wrap his arms around you. And he wants to lift that weight off your shoulders. He wants to bring healing to your body. He wants to provide deliverance for you. He wants to walk you from deliverance into the freedom that he has for you. Because he knows the vision, he knows the passion, he knows the promises that he has given to you. And he has a purpose for your life. And we as a Foundry family, we want to see each and every one of you. We want to run free together into the promise, into the vision, into the calling that God has placed in your life. We want to stand with you. We want to encourage you and not condemn you. But encourage you to move into that vision, into that calling, to run freely towards it. And so this morning, we're going to provide you with an opportunity to do that. And so this morning, if you would stand with me, we're going to sing the chorus of this song. And while we sing this chorus, I encourage you to embrace the freedom that Christ has for you. Our, our prayer team is going to come forwards and they'll be, they'll be standing up here. And if you need to talk with someone this morning, maybe there's a situation in your life that you identified immediately. Maybe there's a, a sickness that you identified immediately. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a hurt. Maybe it's a, 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 a family issue. I believe that God is going to give some of you a new bloodline to walk in. You're not going to walk in the path that your family has walked in for years, but a new bloodline. So this morning, if you find yourself identifying with me and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I would encourage you to respond. Take a step of faith and find freedom this morning. Take the first step in that race towards the prize, towards the, towards the promise that God has for you. And let's run free together. So I encourage you while we sing this song, if, if you need to talk, if you need prayer, there's a situation going on, we're here for you. There's going to be people in the Connection Center. They want to pray with you and connect with you too. I encourage you, find freedom this morning. Find freedom here.